I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And good morning. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. I invite you to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. You're also invited to visit our website, www.asburybaptist.org. In addition, you can reach more messages and more Bible teaching on gospeldynamite.org as well. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God? If you're listening to Gospel Dynamite, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 16, verses 1 through 9, as we look at the final judgment commences. Revelation 16, verses 1 through 9. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. There's no denying that the book of Revelation is a book of judgment. It was written to people in the first century who were smiting under the angry whip of Roman persecution. It was given to them to let them know that God has a plan for the judgment of all those who have rejected him. While there are passages that allow for rejoicing in the chapters of the book, it is for the most part a chronicle of God's final judgment of sin, sinners, and Satan. Now in Revelation, there's a series of three judgments which are executed in seven stages each. There are the seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, and finally the seven bowl or vile judgments. As judgment progresses, the intensity and the severity of these judgments increase. Now we've arrived at the final set of judgments. 
In Revelation 15 and verse 7, it shows us one of the four beasts giving to seven angels, seven bowls full of the wrath of God. Just as a reminder, the word full means to swell. It is the image of a dam under pressure nearing its bursting point. And this is a good description of the wrath of God. Now, ever since Adam sinned in Eden, the wrath of God against sin and sinners has been building. The grace and mercy of God have served as a powerful dam which has held back the wrath of God and kept it in check, so to speak. In the judgments of the Revelation, the dam of God's wrath burst and a Christ-rejecting world is swept away in the wave of judgment that comes forth. Up to this point, God has always tempered his wrath. God has been faithful to honor the request of the prophet Habakkuk. For in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2, the prophet prayed in wrath, remember mercy. But now the time has come where judgment is fully unleashed. There will be no mercy any longer. The wrath of God is about to be poured out and God is preparing to commence his final judgment of the earth. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10, John writes, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. In these verses, the world is about to experience the undiluted wrath of an offended God. In verse 1, God issues the command for the angels to begin pouring out the bowls filled with the wrath of God upon the earth. This message and the next, we'll consider the seven bowl judgments in detail. I would call to your attention in verse 2, the plagues in the sinner. When the first bowl is poured out, all those who have worshipped the beast and who have received his mark are afflicted with sores in their bodies. In fact, the word sore literally means an ulcer. It has the idea of an open, running, ulcerated place on the skin. And it probably refers to an oozing boil. These sores are called noisome. And this word means of a bad nature, troublesome, injurious. They are also described as grievous. This word refers to something that is annoying, painful, or bad. These two words reveal that these sores will be extremely painful, festering, and incurable. No doubt, the greatest medical minds of the age will do their best to find a cure, but they will fail. There will be no cream, no drug that will bring relief to people who are suffering from these boils. Sore on the outside is a sign of rottenness on the inside. And God is clearly revealing the condition of these lost sinners. He is putting on display the corruption of their hearts through the corruption in their bodies. These people have rejected God. They have rejected his Christ. And now they must face him in judgment. These festering ulcers bring to mind the ancient plagues in Egypt. The sixth of those plagues is found in Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 
through 12. In that plague, the people of Egypt suffered from incurable, painful boils all over their bodies. This seems to be the same kind of physical problem Job would have experienced in Job chapter 2 and verse 7. Now, just as it was in ancient Egypt, these boils only afflict the enemies of God. Those who are trusting the Lord are spared from this judgment. Verse 3, I call your attention to the plagues in the sea. When the second bowl is poured out, the waters of the earth's oceans are corrupted and become like the putrid blood of a corpse. Back in Revelation chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, when the second trumpet judgment was administered, one-third of the ocean was affected. Here, the cataclysm is worldwide. When this plague is poured out, every creature in the sea will die, and the seas will become vast cemeteries, if you will. Beaches will no longer attract sun worshipers and pleasure seekers. The beaches will reek with the stench of death, Instead of being thronged with crowds of sunbathers, the world's beaches will be choked with the rotting carcasses of billions of dead sea creatures. I want to point out that this kind of plague has been seen in a miniature fashion in our world. Occasionally something called a red tide will occur. And from time to time off the coast of California or elsewhere, a phenomenon known as the red tide will take place where that red tide kills millions of fish and poisons them who eat uh, contaminated shellfish. In 1949, one of these red tides hit the coast of Florida. First the water turned yellow, but by midsummer it was thick with countless billions of one-celled organisms, very tiny. A 60-mile window of stinking fish fouled the beaches. Much marine life was completely wiped out. Even bait were used by fishermen died upon the hooks. Eventually, the red tide subsided only to appear again the following year. Eating fish that's been contaminated by the tide produced severe symptoms called by a, a potent nerve poison, a few grams of which if it's distributed correctly, could easily kill anyone in the world. Now, an unchecked population explosion of those tiny organisms would kill all the fish in the sea. Only when that occurs, the entire world will be affected. When you consider the fact that 78% of the surface of this planet is covered by ocean and you can see how great of a plague this will be. Imagine the impact that will have on the environment. Most of the rainwater the earth receives comes from moisture that evaporates from the oceans of the world. No more evaporation means greatly diminished rainfall on the earth. And this will cause a drought of worldwide proportions. Consider the fact that this world is largely dependent on the oceans for its food supply. Billions of people receive the abundance of their daily food supply through the ocean. Without that source of food, millions will face starvation. 
Not only will food supplies be drastically affected, but so will commerce and shipping. The socioeconomic impact of this plague will devastate the earth. And one by one, God is tearing down all the things that men take for granted. First, their health is destroyed. Then the oceans are destroyed. The coastal regions of every nation in the world will become abandoned wastelands as the oceans are transformed into vast seas of death. And I'd also call your attention to verses 4 through 7, the plagues in the streams. When the third bowl is poured out, the freshwater sources of the world are stricken. Now again, we saw this in a miniature form back in Revelation chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, when one-third of the world's freshwater supplies were poisoned when a comet, a meteor, or some sort of heavenly body fell into them. Here, they're turned to blood. By the time this plague is poured out on the earth, the world has become absolutely bloodthirsty. Millions of martyrs have been slain by the Antichrist and his forces. Millions of saints have had their blood shed by the enemies of God. He honors their desire for blood by giving them blood to drink. And when Jesus was here, his first miracle was to turn water into wine. That miracle was designed to draw men to himself. Here, he turns the water into blood to remind men of him, one by one. The Lord is removing every prop, every comfort, everything mankind leans on for support and takes for granted. And this plague reminds us of the first of the ten plagues in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 7, verses 20 through 24, the fresh water in the land of Egypt was turned to blood, and men searched in vain for water to quench their thirst. In this judgment, every source of fresh water in the world is turned to blood whether it be a spring, a well, or a municipal water system, the world's fresh water supply is taken away. And our bodies can survive several weeks without food, but only about three days without water. Imagine a world with no water. Faucet is turned on, and instead of cool, clean, thirst-quenching water outpours putrid, foul, deadly blood. Now, no doubt death from disease and thirst will skyrocket during these horrible, evil days. And when this plague comes, the angels praise God for his wisdom in sending this judgment. The world is merely reaping what it has sown. And the world has been guilty of murdering God's people and God's preachers, and they are given blood to drink in return. Another angel declares the righteous nature of God's judgments. Our human minds cannot seem to comprehend the judgments of these verses. We shrink back from them and think that they're completely horrible. We, we, we recoil when we think about People having to suffer like people will suffer during the tribulation. We might even say that there has to be a better way. One day, 
when we're home in glory and our minds have been transformed and glorified, we will see things from God's perspective. Then we will understand just how hateful and horrible sin truly is, and we will feel as God feels. We will think as he thinks, and we will understand exactly how God is punishing mankind. In fact, I'm 100% sure that we will voice our own amens as he judges the world that has denied him and defiled his creation. We'll understand that the time for judgment has come. We will know that the only thing that has held judgment off for this long has been the pure grace of God. When judgment comes, we can rest assured that God will judge the right individuals in the right amount of time in the right way. He can do nothing but the right thing. As Genesis 18 verse 25 says, that be far from thee to do after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? In verses 8 and 9, I show you the plagues in the sun. Now, the fourth plague touches the sun. Its heat is allowed to burn the bodies of men. The word scorch literally means to be burned with heat, to be tortured with intense heat. By some means, God will allow the heat of the sun to be intensified and the bodies of men will be burned. This universe is an amazing place. God created everything. He placed it exactly where it needed to go. The sun is some 93 million miles away from the earth. It sets exactly the precise distance to allow life to exist on this planet. If the sun were any closer, we would be completely consumed, burned up. If the sun were any farther away, we would freeze to death. God placed it exactly where it needs to be. In fact, the sun is a giant nuclear reactor. It's so large that 1.3 million of our earths could fit inside of it. It is hot. The surface of the sun is nearly 10,000 degrees. Well, if that heat were to hit the earth full force, the planet would burn up instantly. Surrounding the earth is a band of radiation called the magnetosphere. This radiation band filters out the rays of the sun, allowing exactly the right amount of heat and light to enter our atmosphere. Now, during this plague, God will either turn up the heat of the sun or allow more of its heat to enter the earth's atmosphere. As a result, men will experience intense burns in their bodies. If you've ever experienced sunburn, you know that the pain is intense. It's nagging. Imagine having that pain intensified many times over. Imagine the agony that will result from this plague. 
another one of mankind's crutches is kicked out from under him. And since the dawn of time, the sun has risen every morning and it's set every evening. It has yielded life-giving, dependable heat and light for thousands of years. One day, mankind will awaken to a sun that will blaze down in flaming heat and it will scorch their bodies, but it will be nothing compared to the pain that they will feel when they are cast into the flames of hell. This is just a warning of something far more terrible and final. Folks, in closing, we read the Bible, we understand that these plagues are God's judgment on sinners who refuse to come to him for salvation. These plagues are designed to judge those who have defied a holy God at every turn. We read it, and we understand the source, and we understand the solution. And what strikes me as amazing is the fact that these people understand exactly what is happening. They understand that God is behind these plagues, and instead of repenting in the face of his wrath, they stand in continued defiance to him and his will. In fact, the Bible tells us in verse 9 that they blaspheme, blaspheme the name of God. That word means to revile, to speak evil of. They shake their puny fist toward God and revile his holy name. They have the audacity to blame him for their troubles and their suffering. Of course, that's been the human way since the dawn of time. Even in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sought to blame their problems on others in Genesis 3, verses 11 through 13. That trend continues today. Grown men and women are running around blaming their parents for their problems they have in life. If they are angry, if they are substance abusers, if they have other problems in their adult lives, they lay the blame at their parents' feet. Homosexuals blame God for their perversion because he claims that they were born that way. They claim that God made them the way that they are. That is completely foolish. Homosexuals are not born that lifestyle is a choice. Husbands blame wives. Wives blame husbands. Everybody blames everyone else for their problems. Even under judgment, men will blame God for what they are suffering. But the problem, my friend, is not with God. 
The problem is clearly stated in verse 9. And I quote, And they repented not to give him glory. They refused to repent of their sins to the glory of God, and they're paying the hefty price for their choice. My friend, according to the Bible, they have no one to blame but themselves. And if you fool around and die and go to hell, you'll have no one to blame but yourself. Oh, you could stop anywhere and call on the name of God and trust him for salvation if you would. If you do not, you will have nothing but judgment to look forward to. The time for repentance is now. If you're not born again, you need to come to Jesus today. You need to be saved today. And if you carry a burden for those who are headed to this horrible time called the tribulation, time to pray for them, time to tell them about Christ is now. If you're saved and want to praise him for delivering your soul, Hell and judgment, now would be a great time to do that. My friend, if you've never been born again, now would be the time to do that as well. Why don't you come to Christ? Why don't you come to him and take his word and his offer of salvation for your soul. Come to Christ. Come to him. Come to him now. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.